Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. The way to love anything is to realize that it might be lost. G.K. Chesterton You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. We have a really good show lined up today. We have three stories from three young ladies from our friends at faceinthecrowd.tv. It's a ministry called Sounds Good Records. They produce music. Uh, Chanel's story, which was on episode three of the Think Twice TV podcast, she's actually a recording artist, and her music is on that site at soundsgoodrecords.com. And they also have several stories on their website. You can find them on YouTube if you search for Sounds Good. You can watch each one of these videos there. Christian author Beth Moore says, No one has ever done more to show you that you were unloved than God has done to show you that you are loved. It's easy to focus on the negatives. And there's this feeling of not enough, that I'm not enough, or God's not enough. But the more that I discovered uh, what the Bible says and... When I applied that Bible to my life, I started to see that God was showing up and He is enough and He was there. Let's jump right into our first story from Christina, who believed that she was not enough. I grew up in a Christian home. I never partied or got into any of that. I had a great relationship with my parents and I went to church two times a week, every week. My friends thought I had the perfect life and I did too. I was completely content with the life I was living and completely comfortable um, in this Christian lifestyle that I developed. I don't know when it happened, but I found myself 10 hours away doing an internship. I don't know why I went, but while I was there, God began to reveal to me the life that I was living was completely lukewarm. I was disgusted with who I was because I wasn't exactly building my relationship with God the way that I should have. I began to notice others around me that were changing and growing in their faith and I wasn't going anywhere. But through the internship, God began to reveal to me who He was, that even though I never partied, it wasn't enough. And even though I had great parents that loved the Lord, it wasn't enough. And I went to church two times a week, every week, and that wasn't enough. But he showed me that he was enough. And he began to give me a love for the word. He began to reveal his heart to me, reveal his plan for me. And I began to hear his voice more clearly, and now I can pour into others. My name is Christina, and I'm not just a face in the crowd. Our next story is from Jenny. I see a lot of young people struggling to find their way. It's inside each one of us to figure out who we are and where we're going and what we want out of life. But I know for me, as a young person uh, at age 21, you know, I really started to seek through the scriptures and I wanted to know for myself. So I read through the scriptures, I studied it diligently, and I found wisdom, I found truth, I found direction. Let's listen into Jenny's story, Rejected and Unloved, I grew up in a single parent home and my mom was always working hard to support us. 
I never felt like I had the attention that I wanted. I was so desperate to find love that I would mess around with guys just for a moment that I would feel like somebody cared about me. I always felt alone and broken. I never found the love that I was looking for. I was so mad when I would see people around me who were happy and smiling. I hated them because I knew that no matter how hard I tried, I didn't have that joy inside of me and I didn't know how to get it. A lot of times when I was laughing with my friends, I would go to the bathroom stall and just cry. So they didn't know that even though I was smiling behind, it was just brokenness and emptiness. I wanted so bad to have freedom. Even though I didn't know what it looked like or felt like, I knew that I was in prison and I knew I wanted to get free. The last time I walked these halls, I was 17 years old and I was pregnant. My boyfriend at the time didn't want me to keep the baby and a lot of my friends had already had abortions. And I made a decision that will be with me forever. I chose life. And he's the joy of my life. Now I have a relationship with God and I know my worth. I have freedom and I have joy and I get to teach my children the same love and joy found in Christ. My name is Jenny, and I'm not just a face in the crowd. The word crisis in the Chinese ideogram, it has two parts. The first part is the symbol for danger. The second part is the symbol for opportunity. You know, so many different things raining down on her brought her danger. But because of her courage and because of her turning towards God, towards her creator, who is enough, there was a great opportunity and a life was saved. Um, no doubt if we could see her son today, we would know that God is good. And yes, it was a danger to suffer the consequences of a teen pregnancy, but it was a great opportunity also to bring a life into this world and to make a difference. And not only that, to declare to the world what the Lord Jesus Christ can do when you turn your life over and wave the white flag of surrender. Uh, I did it in my own life. And you can hear that in episode eight of the Think Twice TV podcast. I share my story about how I surrendered. It's been an awesome ride living the life of faith. And I can honestly say everything I thought I knew or everything I thought about Christianity, it was completely wrong. I thought it was a boring life. It was a church life. It's nothing like um, what I actually experienced. When you plug in to the true creator, you will be changed. And you'll be electrified and excited and brought alive. Uh, and he is enough. Our last story is from Milka. Milka was a pastor's daughter who was the perfect little you know, church girl, goody two-shoes on one side. But on the other side, a rebellion began to brew in her heart that could have gone a lot further than what it did if God had not reached out and saved her from herself. Let's listen to Milka's story, The Venom of Vanity. I was raised as a pastor's daughter, so therefore I heard about God all of my life. But just because you hear about God, it doesn't mean you know God. There were so many areas of my life where I thought everything was perfect and everything was great. But when I was alone in my room, I felt so empty and so alone. I remember being in seventh grade and just wanting attention from guys and wanting that love that wasn't present in my life. So I would expose my body, I would wear really low tops and just 
try to get the guy's attention by doing little things that now seem really weird and immature. But at that time, it was because I just wanted the attention. I was so hungry for it. It wasn't until I finally hit rock bottom in high school and I realized that I hated myself. I hated who I was. I hated what I said. I hated what I looked like. And it was in that time of my life that I said, you know what, God? I'm here and I need you and I need something new in my life and I want to experience your love. That love that I know is out there, I want it and I know only you can provide that. And that is the day that finally changed everything. That's the day that I finally experienced true love. My name is Milka and I'm not just the face in the crowd. The cool thing about Jesus Christ is he did say, I am the light of the world. So if you are in a dark place, suffering, alone, confused, upset, call upon that light of the world. When you take a candle into a dark room, the room is changed and you can start to see clearly. Jesus is there for you. Reach out to him with your heart, your mind, and your soul, and he will be there for you. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast, thinktwicetv.com. Clear thoughts produce clear results. Learn the basics of the faith. Download our free mini book. It includes the ABCs with God, true and false with the Bible, and much more. To get the mini book free, go to thinktwicetv.com and click on mini book or contact us with your mailing address and we'll mail you a copy. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from Seedbed.com. Answering those burning questions like who is God, what is salvation, and many more. So, let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. Why is there evil? So as we said before, in the beginning, God was living as a trinity, whole, complete, and perfect. But God decided to create as a gift. He whispered galaxies, and there were galaxies. He whispered pandas, and there were pandas. And he created us too. And it was all awesome. But God wanted something more from humans than he wanted from pandas or star clusters. He wanted real relationship. He wanted to have the kind of relationship he had in the trinity with us. So, as Genesis 1.27 says, he created humans in his image. Now, the idea of being in God's image has a few different dimensions we need to understand. First, being in God's image means that we resemble God. This means that when God creates humans, he invests them with characteristics that he himself possesses. Now, as Romans 1.20 teaches, all creation reflects aspects of God's nature. But humans resemble God in special ways. We are given the ability to know God, and in order to know something, you must have some connection to it. Ostriches and wild donkeys and mountain goats do not know God, but the Bible teaches that God knows and watches over them. The relationship is fairly one-sided. Humans are different, though. We're known by God, but we can know Him as well. And true knowledge of a perfect God naturally leads to joyful worship. There's another way that humans, created in the image of God, resemble our Creator. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. When God refers to himself, 
He speaks of himself as an us. God is not just a single I, but is in fact a trinity of persons, a unity that includes difference. When God creates humans, he makes them in his images, male and female, a unity that includes difference. Humans resemble God by being different yet unified, like the different notes in a chord that combine to make a harmony. But there's more. Humans not only resemble God, but were created to represent him in the world. We're meant to be God's representatives in the way that United States congressmen represent their home districts in Washington, D.C. As I said in the last chapter, the work of being God's image in the world brings with it some responsibilities. So, just like a congresswoman has work that she has to do as part of her official duties, humans were given a task as God's official representatives. As Genesis 1 teaches, humans were meant to rule over creation. It makes sense, then, that God placed humans in a garden and gave them some specific responsibilities. He gave them some things to do and some things not to do. He told the humans to tend the garden, and he told the humans not to eat the forbidden fruit. He gave them a choice. What did we do? We did the terrible thing. We broke God's command and continue to do so today. Now, some of you might be thinking, why did God give humans a chance to mess up? Why did God make it possible for humans to go wrong? Well, here's why. It's because real relationship requires real freedom. Imagine you're a young man or woman. You started thinking about marriage, and there's a guy or girl that you think is the bee's knees. You're crazy about them. You're just right. They look like you want them to look. They act just the way you want them to act. They're perfect. But they won't give you the time of day. Not interested at all. And now imagine there's a pill. It's called the Cupid Capsule. And you could give this guy or girl the Cupid Capsule, and they would instantly fall in love with you and remain in love with you forever. Would you give them the pill? Most people would say, no, definitely not. But why is that? Because most of us understand that real love requires real freedom. If we make someone love us, the very act of compelling them to love negates the very thing we want, the free response of affection. And this is why God gave us the ability to obey or not. The problem for us now is we didn't obey. And as the Bible teaches, the real consequence of disobeying God is disrupted relationship and death. Adam and Eve's disobedience messed up their relationship with the triune God. Connection and communication were broken, like when phone lines or cell phone towers are destroyed and communications disrupted. Humans no longer had the full knowledge of God they were supposed to. Disobedience also destroyed humans' ability to represent God and carry out our responsibilities. We could no longer rule over creation as we were intended to. Instead of unity with God and others, humans are now at odds with each other and God. Instead of enjoying the closeness of family, humans became enemies of God and each other. And death also entered the human story. So now our default setting, when we come out of the box, is already aimed toward death. Cut off from God, the redeeming source of all life, we die. Now when Jesus comes, he's going to solve both these problems by restoring our relationship with God and by conquering death. In a word, Jesus is going to restore the image of God that we had in the beginning. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith from Seedbed.com It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom. A short, single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. Philip Yancey recreates this powerful story of Jesus that depicts God's 
mission for our lives. A young girl grows up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the length of her skirts, and the music she listens to. They ground her a few times, and she seethes inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night she acts on a plan she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away to Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, and arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The man with a big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things men like. She's underage. Men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives seem so boring and provincial that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture printed on the back of a milk carton with a headline, Have You Seen This Child? But by now she has blonde hair and with all the makeup and body piercing jewelry she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. After a year, the first sallow signs of illness appear, and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean, and before she knows it, she's out on the streets without a penny to her name. She still turns a few tricks a night, but they don't pay much, and all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on the metal grates outside the big department stores. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden, everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper she's piled atop her coat. Something jolts a synapse of memory. And a single image fills her mind of May in Traverse City when a million cherry trees bloom at once with her golden retriever dashing through rows and rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why, why did I leave, she says to herself, and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in all the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it, it's me. I, I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I, I guess I'll just 
stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City. And during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between the worries and the speech she is preparing for her father. Dad, I, I'm sorry. I, I know I was wrong. It, it's not your fault. It, it, it's mine. Dad, can you, for, can you for forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air brakes hissing in protest. The driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks. That's all the time we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair, and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice if they're there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. And taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through tears, quivering in her eyes like hot mercury, and begins to memorize speech. Dad, I, I'm sorry, I, I know. And he interrupts her, Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. Do you insert yourself in the story? When the father runs to meet the prodigal, is he running to you? He is. This is the God who understands Godhead in terms of servanthood. This is the Lord who understands lordship in terms of foot washing. This is the God who, having hurled galaxies into space, finds joy by placing all that he has at our disposal. This is the God who finds his most glorious moments when he gives himself to us. The heart of the universe is a dance. And Almighty God is giving himself to say, can I have this next dance with you? One of the main things I discovered when I finally gave my life over to Jesus Christ was that life has purpose, life has meaning. God has a mission for you. He wants you to go out and do what he did, which is seek and save the lost. That's one reason why I started this podcast. So seek him, find your purpose. He wants to build you up clean you off, and put you to work. But it's the best work that you could possibly be involved with because blessings flow from obedience. 
On the next episode of the Think Twice TV podcast, we'll have two more stories from our friends at Face in the Crowd. We'll have Alan's story, The Blame Game, growing up in extreme poverty and how that embittered him towards others and how he blamed God, his family, even himself for the situation that he had very little control over. We'll also have Caleb, The Power of Popularity. Uh, a young man who was raised in a Christian home, but traded that in to be popular in school. Well, hey, thanks for being with us again, and we look forward to bringing you more testimonies, more stories to encourage your faith and to help you share with others. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, uh, why don't you share it with somebody? You know, post it on your Facebook feed or Instagram. Uh, let people know what we're doing. It really helps us out, and I appreciate that. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. This venture is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association. Revealing the love and power of God through media. www.mediamessengers.org If you like the show, follow us on social media and please help us reach more people. All our social links are in the show notes.